if you've been somewhere if you've been somewhere that's not nice you've been somewhere in your life that's not pretty if you've been involved in things that are away from God you know what it is to be a child of God you can't hold it in he set you free and you will understand better than anyone else today what it means to be a child of God what he's done for us at this time of the year is unbelievable to think of it's interesting as I was preparing for this message my text is really not a, a, a Christmas text but it's a text that goes perfectly with the Christmas season because it gives us somewhat of an idea of where Jesus has come from you know where you've come from you know what God has taken you from to where you are but you don't always know where he's taking you from here the future is not always clearly laid out because God doesn't want it always to be clearly laid out. I shared with the praise band this morning, I always go back to Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, because he gives seven simple principles by which to live that will guide your life. And when you live by these, you constantly see the, the hand of God directing you and pushing you where he wants you to be and taking you from what he doesn't want you to be. Many people sit here this year at the end of the year now, and you think, wow, you've taken me a long ways, God. Whew. I can't even hold it all. You've taken me so far. A year ago, we would never have dreamed that we would not be in this place any longer, that he was taking us to another place as a body of Christ. He just literally plopped that in our laps. We had no choice. You don't always have a choice in the way things turn out in your life. Because your circumstances led you here and here and here. And you wondered why that happened. And little do we realize that God has always been there for you and with you. You just don't always recognize him. I picked the songs for today because they tell a story. You are on a journey. God has you right where he wants you. When you get to the Henry Blackaby's list, and I just want to read it quickly, you have to think of where am I at in these seven steps. Number one is God is always at work around me. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, God is always at work. Number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, God is pursuing you in love. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Even though you don't even know what that means, he invites you to be involved. Number four is God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, or through the church, the body of Christ. One of four ways, if you're not in the Bible and you're not praying, he will bring circumstances that point you to the fact that you need God. And if that doesn't happen in circumstances, somebody will come across your path and all of a sudden they're saying, you're going the wrong direction. You need to turn around. Number five is crucial. God invites you to work with him and will always lead you through a crisis of belief, which you can either accept or reject. A crisis will come into your life and you will have to ask God, what are you trying to teach me? If you listen, you'll be able to go on. Number six, 
you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. As a shepherd, I will say it as clearly as possible to myself and to you. You cannot continue in your lethargy or your sin and be happy. You have no future there. If you've seen yourself drift away from God this year, you need to come back before you end up in ultimate destruction. Number seven, you came to know God by experience only as you obey him. You will not know God or his way or his will any other way. I don't want to waste a single word today. There are two unchangeable things that God wants us to know this morning. Two things that are crucial for us to understand if we are to experience God. I've watched the, the Disney video many times, Toy Story. You know it. I think it's an amazing video, even though I don't like most of those animated kids' videos. I think there's a funny one coming out at Christmas time called Sing. Just looks hilarious. And since I like to sing, we might just pop over here and see that, that movie. But you know the story about Woody. He's a, he's a cowboy. We had a Woody figure at our house. I think kids outgrow those. You might, anybody in here have one? And a Buzz Lightyear, several people. And a Buzz Lightyear. All the kids wanted Buzz Lightyear. And it's interesting because Buzz Lightyear is, is feeling like nobody really appreciates him. And he's, you know, he's kind of proud about the fact that he's a space ranger. And, and, and Woody just looks over at Buzz and he says, you're not a space ranger. You're an action figure, a kid's toy. Hate to burst your bubble, but you're not what you think you are. It's basically what Woody's saying to Buzz. And only after failing to fly, does Buzzy, Buzz, excuse me, Buzzy, yeah, Buzzy the flyer, he, he actually realizes he can't fly. He was not designed to fly. He was designed to be a child's toy. And when he recognized and realized that what Woody was saying was true, it wasn't because Woody was trying to be mean that he said that. It was Woody was trying to get him to understand the truth. You, some, you are not meant to be that, and you're trying to be that. Be what God designed you to be. When you are what God has designed you to be, you will be happy and no other way. We're all trying to be something that God never designed for us to be. I'm not you. You're not me. And Woody was not trying to be mean. But Woody looks at him and says, you're a plaything, a play toy, and there's a boy that loves you very much who's not interested in whether you're a space ranger. He's interested in in loving you for who you are. And Buzz is thinking that through, and he, he lifts up his foot and looks at the bottom of his space ranger boots, and he sees a, a tag there, a mark that identifies him. And written in, in pen at the bottom of that, there's a permanent marker to the bottom of his foot with the boy's name. The little boy's name is written on his toy. My guess is this. If you pick up your foot today and you look at the bottom of your foot, you're going to see that it says, you are mine. Signed, God. Whoa. Let that load fall on you. You are mine. 
I love you. It's not because you're a space ranger. It's because you're his. You see, that's what makes you significant. If, if you stop comparing yourself to everyone else and trying to be skinny and trying to be this and trying to be that, instead of realizing that you are his and that's amazing. Yeah. Is it not? Yeah. I am his and he is mine. It's written in blood on my foot. My tag says, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My text is just a, a few verses this morning. Hebrews 6. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope on the bottom of my foot as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The great high priest went behind the curtain on my behalf and said, he is mine. He is mine. Gary Peterson belongs to me. As long as he stays focused on me, he will find great fulfillment in life. The moment he takes his eyes off, he will be empty again and feel like a worthless toy that can't even fly. I can fly. You can fly too. There are two immutable, unchanging truths in the text this morning. Very simple. One is the promise of God, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never, never, never. You leave him. He doesn't leave you. You leave him. He hasn't left you. You leave him and go your own way like sheep astray, and then you don't want the shepherd to tell you that you've gone astray. You need to come home. You're back to your old girlfriends, ladies. You're back to your old guy friends, and every time you're with them, they take you away from God, and you know it. You know it. And the shepherd tells you, and you get mad at the shepherd and say, I'm going to go somewhere where I don't have to hear that I'm back to my old ways. You know you have a promise from God? He has never, ever left you. You left him. If you're feeling worthless today, it's because you don't trust the promise of God. Number two, you have the oath of God. You have a seal. It's on the bottom of your foot. It is written on your heart. I am his and he is mine. Yeah? yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was the prodigal son. So were you. I am no longer a slave. I have been set free from that garbage that took my attention away from God and make me feel worthless so many times. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, what, you know why you couldn't sit in your seat any longer? Because you knew that you are not a slave anymore. You've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That's his word, not mine. You have his oath upon you. Stop living mundanely. 
Grab on to God and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We don't have to worry about whether Rock Church will grow. We need to be concerned about whether the kingdom of God will grow. You ought to be where God is so that you can join him and what he is doing. And in the middle of your crisis of belief, you will acknowledge him in all your ways and find yourself falling before his throne once again, where you used to have joy and there was a wonder of it all. And now you've gone back to your novelty things that mean nothing and never bring happiness. I could be totally happy without one gift at Christmas because I have the greatest gift at all. And when I'm thankful for the greatest gift that I have, I'm thankful for my, my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my son-in-laws. I'm thankful for this church. I love this church. We are the body of Christ, are we not? Two immutable truths. You have the seal of God upon you. At first you think to yourself, what does this have to do with Christmas? But the writer of the verses in Hebrews traces back to 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. Nick alluded to it just moments ago. To a man named Abraham who met God while he was a pagan businessman in the Ur of Chaldees. Not interested, going his own way. You took my feet and set them on solid rock, Abraham said. I was drifting, drinking beer, partying, doing my own thing, God. And then you took me out of the Ur of Chaldees and made me something different. Yes. God promised to give him three things that blow my mind. Number one, a land of his own. Yes, a land of his own where he could belong, where he felt that God wanted him to be. Secondly, a whole nation of descendants. Why would God say, I'm going to choose you to be the father of the Jewish people, which are my beloved people, and which God has protected through the years when even Hitler tried to annihilate them, and now they try to deny history like it didn't happen. Oh, my, scary world we live in. Yes, it is a scary world. And the third thing, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through that man. Do you think that Abraham felt every day like he was blessed? I think that there were day after day after day experiences where he thought, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? Why do I feel hurt today? Why do I feel depressed today? Why do I feel like going back to the end of my driveway and drinking beer? Why do I feel like this and this and this and getting drunk and being dead and wanting to hang myself some, some beam in the basement because you've drifted from God, not because he's drifted from you, because his promise says he will never leave you or forsake you ever. I will not stop preaching the truth because the truth is the only thing that sets us free. Two immutable truths. You've got God's promise that he will not leave you. You've left him. You've gotten carnal. You'd rather go run in a race than you would be in the race for the kingdom of God. You get that? You don't even see you're drifting. And if I tell you you're drifting, you get mad, pastor. You're meddling. You know how people end up in jail? They end up in jail because they're not walking with God. God supplies everyone's needs according to his riches in glory, does he not? And then we're embarrassed that we got to that estate, that place. I can guarantee you, Paul was in jail many times thanking God, and he used that as an opportunity to win people to Christ, including the Philippian jailer and his whole house. What are you going to do with what God sends? In the middle of your crisis, are you going to turn to God or from him? Because he never leaves. That's his promise. You have two unchangeable things. I will reiterate it during my whole time speaking this morning. God keeps his promises. 
And God, secondly, has my future in his hands because his oath and his seal is on my foot. And you know what? Sometimes he makes his feet just want to dance like crazy. Huh? Doesn't he? Oh, my. He split the sea so we could walk right through it. You know why Dirk and Nick are dancing around up here? Because they can't even hold it inside. I saw you get up, Irene. I saw her get up and lift her hands up. I see people get up. You can't sit still when you realize what God has done for you. Can you? No, 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 no. We'd be dead. Slaves to sin. But God has set us free by his miraculous power. I have a heart attack today. I'm so excited. Too much coffee already. No, it's because the truth of God just blows my mind. It blows my mind. You have his promise. He cannot lie. That's an unchangeable truth. And you have his oath. God cannot lie. That's his promise. God keeps his promises. He will not lie. You got to see that this morning. You have to walk out of here and if somebody says, what was the message about? You say, two unchangeable truths. God never lies. I've got a promise that he will never leave me or forsake me. You've left God. If you are down in spirit today, if you're wandering around, wondering why do I keep going back to the same sin, it's because you don't see that God loves you and wants you to be happy, but you keep drifting away from him. He's, you can depend on him. It started in the Garden of Eden. Those tragic few moments after Adam and Eve had eaten from the forbidden fruit. Paralyze, or excuse me, paradise was paralyzed by the entrance of sin. Paradise is paralyzed by the entrance of sin. You are paralyzing the paradise that God has for you when you let things prove that you don't believe he's God. Is he supernatural? Yes? There's one lady in here who believes he's supernatural. God is supernaturally above any of your circumstances. It started in paradise when even Adam sinned, and she, she talked to her husband, and they foiled God's plans, and they had fallen from innocence. And then God had to say to himself, as he does with us quite often, God had to say to himself, now what am I going to do with Gary? Now what am I going to do with Vince? Now what am I going to do with Irene? She keeps going back. He keeps going back. He keeps going back. And you paralyze what God wants you to have, and that's paradise, by being in the will of God, even if it's in prison. You can sing. You can have the greatest Christmas ever when you start listing what God has done for you. Supernaturally. Yeah, you once were found. You're drifting back. I'm telling you, I look at our congregation, I see drift away. Only at the services part of the time. Drift away. Back to your alcohol. Back to your hobbies. Back to this and that. And you've left God out completely and then you wonder, why all of a sudden is my marriage wrecked? Why all of a sudden do I feel depressed? Why am I back to my drinking habit or whatever habit it is? I don't care. It's because you've left God out because you don't think God is there for you, but it's you that's not there for God. You are not joining him in what he wants to do. He wants you to live in paradise. That's what he wanted from the very beginning. 
You know, I, I put the song in there. We didn't sing it this morning, but God will make a way. You feel like you're in the middle of something and you don't know how it's going to work out? God will make a way. 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 I guarantee you, he made a way for Adam and Eve because he didn't want them to have to live in pain and misery. This is what the scripture says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike a seal. This is what he said. All right, Satan, you are one of my created beings. You think you got these people of God in this house. You don't have them at all. I got them in the palm of my hand. Stop making them believe that they're yours. Stop, stop luring them into your garbage, which is worthless and destroying their lives. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. The woman who? The woman. Who was he talking about, Eve? No, he wasn't talking about Eve. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the mother of the Messiah. He might have been talking about all women. I'll put enmity between you. And she is going to crush your head, Mr. Snake. You are the serpent that attacks. And you're going to bruise his heel with your venomous strike. But in the end, you, Satan, are crushed and dead. Because I have made a way. I have a plan. And I've made a way. And you don't even know what it is. Do you, oh man, I'm going to have a heart attack today. God, help us. Help me, Lord. I'm blown away when I think of the plan of God. He couldn't stand that we would be separated from him. And he tried to think of someone that could go and somehow that he could redeem man back. And the only way was this. I will have to give up the thing that is most precious to me. My son will go, oh, God, thank you. Thank you that I am no longer a slave to sin because of Jesus. They didn't know who the Messiah was, but God had it planned. Born of a woman. He will be a man. Born of a woman. He will fight the serpent, but Satan can fight all he wants. He loses. It's over. The battle's been won. It's been won. The victory is done. You're just not patient enough to put everything you have and believe in him and live your whole life like you believe in him. He's lucky if he gets a moment of your life. But you're not going to stop running, and you're not going to start stop working out, and you're not going to stop drinking. You're not going to put everything in this. You're not going to stop your money-making workaholism. You're going to not stop your anger stuff because you need to be angry at times. You're not going to stop griping about what a poor childhood you have. You're going you're gonna to continue to do that and think that, that somehow you are entitled to better. And God says, I gave you my best. Is that not good enough? You got my promise. Who come on. You got my promise, and you got my oath right there. Right there, you see it? Yeah, you got my oath. The serpent is going to try to, he's going to try to bite my oath. He's going to try to come after you, Buzz. He's going to try to make you think you're just a worthless toy. When in reality, if you look closer and lift up your foot, you're going to see down there it says, Jesus. Oh, yeah. That foot is going to crush the head of Satan. Yes. The drums were even playing by themselves just a second ago. You hear him? The Savior's coming. Genesis 3.15 is the first link to the long chain that leads to Bethlehem. He will come from the Semitic people. This is what the scripture says. Blessed be the Lord of the God of Shem. Genesis 9, 26. After the flood, 
God gave Noah these sons, three of them. But the deliverer must come from one of them because they're the only human beings on the planet. And so God says, I'm going to use Shem as the father of the Semitic or the Jewish people to bring the deliverer. And now everybody has to watch and see how that fulfills itself. He will come from Shem. Really? Shem, why does he get? Because God said so. He will be a son of Abraham. Years later, he gave a promise to Abraham. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to all peoples of earth. We'll be blessed through you. The line of Shem now to Abraham takes a big jump. Abraham obeyed and ended up in the promised land. This represents narrowing down the promise from all humanity to one solitary man now. God is trying to show that it will, his promises will be fulfilled through one solitary man at a time. He will move down through history, through, the, through Shem and the Semitic people, to Abraham. And now he's going to narrow it down to the scripture says he will be a son of Isaac who almost ended up sacrificed, didn't he? Because God knew. Ooh, I want to sing. God knew. Didn't he? Oh, yeah, we need the organ playing. God knew that his promises were going to be fulfilled. If you just keep your eyes on God's word, you will know the future. Satan is crushed. He's dead. He's gone. Don't give in to him. Invest everything you have in the kingdom of God. I'll be your investment officer today. You got nothing to lose and everything to gain. You who don't give a penny. You who never talk to a single person, you're more interested in running races than you are in running the race. Pastor, I know you were talking about me today. I just know it. You've been watching me on Facebook, and you're mad because I ran in marathons. What? This is what I get. There's not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't think I'm talking to them, and I never even thought of them. I know you're talking about me today. It's because I've gotten involved in all these marathons. But it's, honestly, it's only because I want to be in shape. So that other women will look at me. So that other women will look at me. Yeah, you know there are always secret motives behind what you're doing. And God's trying to talk to you and you're not listening. You are not listening. God has a plan. Watch his plan. Genesis 22:18. It says this. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The line is narrowing down once again. He will come from the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between the, his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the, of the nations is his. Jacob had 12 sons. It's going to get narrower now. It's going to come through the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the lion and the lamb. You know where we get the whole idea of a lion? Is that Judah is represented by lion. The lion, the fierce lion, the nation of the tribe of Judah now is being singled out as God's way of bringing the Messiah to this earth. And, and Jacob had 12 sons, which would be chosen to carry on this commission. There was Reuben, the firstborn, but he sinned and was passed over. Same is true of Simeon and Levi. They sinned and were passed over. And then when Jacob came to his fourth son, Judah, he entered one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. For all 2,000 years, from Genesis 49, had been regarded as one of the greatest messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Although Jacob was old and dying with eyes of faith, he saw through the mist to a day when the tribe of Judah would take leadership in Israel. 
It's narrowing down. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And all the other tribes now would follow Judah. The scepter, the sign of regal authority, would rest with Judah until Shiloh comes. What's Shiloh? Shiloh? He, it's, this is the meaning of Shiloh. He to whom the scepter rightfully belongs. His name is Jesus. One day, he will break through the clouds. This is his promise for us. And all of us who fall allegiant to the king of glory, because we can't even stand it, he's so mighty and powerful, all of us will be raised from the dead or taken from our living spot to meet him in the air. The king is coming. The king is among us this morning. He's here. He is among us. We're told that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. And although Jacob predicts the prophecy was not fulfilled for centuries, hundreds of years go by, and, and nothing happens. Israel's earliest leaders came from other tribes. So people got distracted. God purposely allows you to get distracted so that he will test to see if your faith is in him alone. Yes. After Saul was rejected by God, and Saul was king for 40 years, and he gave, he gave, obviously, you know that he had to pass the scepter to somebody else. He chose someone from the tribe of Judah to be king. He was a descendant of David. He was to be a descendant of David. In 1 Samuel 16, things began to change, and after rejecting Saul as king, God chooses the youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd boy named David. He eventually becomes the king of Israel. In, in time, he will be considered Israel's greatest king, her model warrior, her finest statesman of all times. In fact, God would say of David, he was a man after his own heart. At the height of his career, God made an amazing promise to David. The Lord himself will establish a house for you. I will raise up from your offspring one to succeed you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The promise is the most specific yet. Not only will the deliverer come from the line of David, he will also rule over David's kingdom and will reign upon David's throne. More than that, David's house and kingdom and throne will be forever, God says. Forever. Well, how's that possible? David's a human being. David's not immortal. He's a man. How could it be? David had to believe that what God says will mysteriously work itself out even if I don't understand it. You're not always going to understand what God is doing. What he wants of you is nothing more than just believe that I am doing. You get this? Believe that I'm doing and I'm a rewarder of those who diligently find me, seek me, and find me. That's the key for you. It was David and Solomon Asa, Hezekiah, Josiah, to name a few of the human rulers who followed. And although these men were righteous before God because they were human, they could never reign from David's throne forever. Mortal men could never exhaust this great promise because it demands a ruler who will live forever. So the promise has now become this, a member of the human race, a man, a descendant of Shem, a descendant of Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to the tribe of Judah, 
to David, to the descendants of David, and ultimately to someone who can reign on David's throne forever and ever. And the Bible goes further than it starts to narrow it down very, very much. After hundreds of years, this prophecy would be fulfilled when everyone had given up and the Old Testament ended and 400 years had lapsed in time when our nation's only 200 and some years and we can't even see next, the next four years. He says, I will bring a baby. I will bring the Messiah from a virgin. That's ridiculous. No one would believe that. A virgin can't conceive. A virgin is a virgin is a virgin. She cannot produce a baby on her own. And God said, because what I like to do, what I like to do, what I like to do is this. I like to work in ways that you will have to acknowledge God. It could only be God who did it. The Bible said through the prophet Isaiah in 7.14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will, con will con be with child or conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with you. God will be born a descendant of David, born from a virgin. A virgin-born child. You know how I know my king is alive and I don't worship Allah or Buddha or any other God because my king is the only one that was born of a virgin that actually lived and walked the earth. He is of the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah, he is a descendant of David all the way back from Abraham. We are, you know why we are more blessed than any other peoples ever? We actually get to see the truth fulfilled in the New Testament, how it was fulfilled, and we get now to wait on the king to come back. And he is coming. The king is among us. Aren't you in the house, God? He could make every ceiling tile in this room clap if he wanted to. He could burst forth with trumpets out of nowhere because he brought a baby out of a virgin. But you, now he goes further. If you don't want to believe that it's a virgin birth, I'm going to tell you where the baby's going to be born. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. There is so much demonic crap on TV nowadays, Satan wants to scare you into thinking he's the ultimate ruler. His head is crushed. I believe it. Do you? Do you believe it? His head is crushed. The serpent's head is crushed. I believe the prophecies. Not just flippantly. I believe them so much that I want to die. I want to spend my life telling the truth about who he is. He comes from days of eternity. A virgin. King Ahaz was a wicked king. He was a wicked king, and Isaiah was the prophet during his kingdom and three other kings that actually lived. Three empires Isaiah prophesied. Can you imagine what Isaiah was thinking to himself? The Messiah did not come while Isaiah was alive. He didn't come while Ahaz was alive, but this is how God works. This is what I feel about America. No matter what president you put in the White House, we are resilient people. We are a people of God. My own older daughter was saying, America's not a Christian nation the other night. I walked out, I was so mad. I thought, what planet has she been on? And I love her to death. 
but she doesn't go to church. She's not in the word. She has no discernment. When you put yourself in the marathon of the world, I will guarantee you soon you will be away from God. You're running. I'm talking to you right now as your shepherd. There aren't four shepherds here. There's only one. There are four pastors, but there's only one shepherd. Somebody texted me this week and said, I'm thankful for all four of my shepherds. No, they'll be shepherds eventually, but they're not the shepherd. If you had four shepherds, the sheep would be going all over the place. The shepherd's job alone is this. Get the sheep back from where they don't belong. You're partying on Saturday nights. You're hanging with people who are anti-God. Your own kids may end up saying, America's not a Christian nation. I said baloney and walked out the door. I will not listen to the voice of Satan. He's a liar and a deceiver. The, God, the word of God said that the Messiah would be a man. He said that he would be a Jew from the line of Shem. He, that he would come from the tribe of Judah. That he will be a descendant of David. That he would be born in Bethlehem now for, of a virgin. How much more do we, evidence do we need? He picks out this little town of Bethlehem. How still we see the lie. We sing these Christmas kills. We don't even understand that. He made him be born in the little town of Bethlehem to make it more difficult to deny. Are you with me? Come on, come on, you deadheads. Wake up, put some, some deadbolt something in your brain. Wake up to the fact that God made it difficult to believe so that those of us would believe it. I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. I can't lose when I give my whole self to God. You can't lose, can you? You lose the other way. You lose the other way. Invest in what God is doing. This is what I say about people when they're looking for a church. Find out where God's working and join them. Find out, I guarantee you, no matter who comes to the new building, it won't make any difference to me who comes. That place is going to rock with the power of God. We chase every demon out of this place every week. Hopefully we don't have to clean them out of that place. I had so much I wanted to say today, it was not even funny. So many things I wanted to say. When you think about the gallery of rogues, of rogues that got allowed, then you realize why he loves you. There was Abraham. Yeah, Abraham, who lied about his wife twice. There was Isaac, who lied about Rebecca. There was Jacob, who was a congenital cheater. There was Judah, who slept with his daughter-in-law, thinking she was a, a, a prostitute. There's David, who committed adultery and murder, and God still said he was a man after God's own heart. There was Solomon, who had hundreds of wives and couldn't be happy because nobody can even satisfy one. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> there was Manasseh, a man whose name is synonymous with evil. He was so wicked that when he, he actually sacrificed the children of Israel. There was Tamar who slept with Judah. There was Rahab the harlot. There was Bathsheba who committed adultery with David. Three of these four women that are mentioned are not so good women. Three are involved, or some are involved in some kind of sexual immorality. Two are involved in prostitution, and one is an adulteress. All four are in the line that leads to Jesus Christ. This is what it says to me. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not I'm not perfect, but you picked me anyway. Yeah. yeah? That sets you free to dancing. Yeah. 
He, he is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people like Nick. <laughs> there you go. And all the rest of us. See, that's why I'm so convinced. You don't throw people out. God doesn't disqualify. He qualifies you. He didn't tell what a bishop and an elder were supposed to be so that he could disqualify people. He told them that so they'd have some measure to live up to, to try to accomplish in life. He, doesn't, he hasn't thrown you out. If you're an alcoholic, he hasn't thrown you out. He still loves you. If you're addicted to some kind of sexual thing, he still loves you. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used those women. He wanted us to see Bethlehem, Virgin, Shem, Abraham, David, Rahab. All of these people blew it, and yet the power of God used them. Whew, is that powerful. See, he wanted us to know this. I keep my promises. Yeah. You have my oath on it that no matter what, I keep my promises. God uses the least likely people, doesn't he? In the end, the only name in the genealogy that actually matters is this one. Jesus. Whoa, yeah, everybody together, Jesus. Jesus. One more time. When you speak the name of Jesus, demons flee. When you speak the name of Jesus, you no longer have to do that alcohol. When you speak the name of Jesus, you no longer have to live in bondage and slavery and hopelessness. He wants you to be free right this second. You've come into the room and you're saying, man, I can't even sit here, Pastor. I just feel like I'm just bam, 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 bam. I'm, I, I have messed up so bad. And God says, okay, you'd be a good one to use in my lineage. You'd be a good one to use for the, for the cause of Christ, right? Hope rises. Hope floats. God does not lie. He keeps his promises, and he will make a way. God has our future in his hands. That's all I want to say. And then I want to have the praise band come in a moment because I want to finish on the highest high you could possibly have. There is no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God is there. His name at this time of the year, his name. People are trying to take Christmas and make it into something else. There's no Christmas without Christ Jesus. No Christmas without the Messiah. I thank God that our trumpet, our, our trump, trumpet, trump, who's a little kooky, he says, Merry Christmas. Oh, that makes the Obama's heads just swim. That, make, that, that makes them just, oh, poor Obamas. Obama, you had your eight years. Beat it. It's time to pull things back to God. It will be a cyclical pattern as long as we're on the planet. Ups and downs, good and evil. Out of all the kings that reigned in Judah, only four of them, I believe, were godly kings. Cyclical pattern. Now, before we sing... I'm asking you this morning, because I watch your Facebooks and stuff. The shepherd is watching. <laughs> and you watch mine and wait till I flub up so you can say, go to hell, pastor. You're just evil. No. This should never be the purpose of any of us. The purpose should be this. Just talk to each other and get it fixed. Put an end to it and move on, right? See, the same book Hebrews said this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which is it impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, maybe greatly encouraged. All of us that are taking hold better understand this. 
God has our future in his hands, does he not? Nothing you do for God is wasted. There is a letter written by a British author, Malcolm Muggeridge, to his friend Bill Buckley. He says, as an old man, Bill, looking back on one's life, it's one of those things that strikes you most forcibly, that the only thing that's taught one thing that's taught me anything is suffering. I'm sorry, I put the wrong word in there. Suffering. Not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that really teaches me what life's about, the joy of understanding, the joy of coming in contact with life really signifies is suffering or affliction. Suffering has a way of making us Look at things more clearly. Okay, so I share this before the praise band comes. So my, bro my brother-in-law, Bobby Lane, who's a preacher, Becky only has one sibling. He's a twin. They were born five minutes apart. She's very close to him. He pastors in Georgia. He started his church 34 years ago, so we have something in common. We've both started churches, and he was with us for a few days this week. And while he was there, he said, how's your dad doing? And I said, I don't know, because my younger brother, who took all, my, all of our inheritance, has taken my dad and put him in some nursing home somewhere so we will not know where he is at. Well, I was fortunate or blessed enough recently that my sister, who's been married seven times, called me and she's, she always cries and says, why did you stay with God and why have I gone the other path? And I said, by the grace of God, he has kept me. Thank you, Jesus. But as we were talking, she gave me my dad's phone number at the nursing home he's at. And um, so I called, actually Becky called, dialed it, and asked the lady, can I talk to Elmer Peterson? And she said, okay, and then Becky handed the phone to me. And I shared this at Praise Band, so it's kind of funny. So she takes the phone down to his room, and I can hear her rustling and stuff, and, and she said, Elmer, Elmer. And don't ever call him Elmer Fred, by the way, or you're gonna get knocked, you're gonna get <laughs> slugged. So she says, Elmer, your son's on the phone, or, or Becky's on the phone. And then he picks up the phone and goes, oh, 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 yeah, oh, okay. He's 92 years old. Comes the phone, he goes, hey, Tim. Tim's my younger brother who took all his money. And I said, no, this is your other son, Gary. And he goes, oh, Tim, how you doing? I'm like, okay, he's still asleep. He says, sorry, I was taking a nap. And I said, I said, oh, do you want me to call back another time? He goes, no, 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 nobody ever calls me. I don't like it here. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm all by myself. I'm, it's so lonely and sad here. And, and on and on, he says, I'm so glad you called. And I'm like, I grew up in a home where I literally despised my father because he made us work constantly and would knock us off the table with the back of his hand and hit my mom and all kinds of things that really affected me. But by the grace of God, I overcame that and realized that I'm loved. I'm Buzz Lightyear. I preach to myself. I have his name on my foot. I'm, I'm serious. I have his name on the bottom of my shoe that God's got my back. He's got your back. Anyway, I realized how much I loved my dad when I was talking to him. It made me very sad, actually. I told Becky afterwards, I said, I feel like getting in the car and going to that nursing home and bringing him to stay with us. I don't care what happened to his kids. It's not important. But as I was talking to him, we were just talking about things, and he was really excited that that I still get to pasture in, that we're, you know, got a building and stuff. And he's very, he's very sound mind. And then I said, how's the food there? And he said it so loud, I thought, that they're going to, whatever. He says, the food is rotten. It's the worst food I've ever had in my whole life. Oh, Gary, I can't even tell you next to mom's cooking. It's just like horrible. My mom was Italian. Yeah, we ate. 
lots of pasta. Best ravioli in the whole world. Anyway, and I, I said, so you don't like it? He goes, they don't even feed us. It's terrible. We're out in the middle of nowhere. I don't even think there's a town near here. Just a highway out in front. I look at the cars go by, and he said, and I'm really hungry, and I asked for something, and she gives me a piece of bread. Then I had to stop. Whoa, God, this is weird. When I was a teenager growing up, my mom was really weird about food. We were not allowed to eat anything that she didn't give us. She would count the chocolate chips in the bag to make sure we didn't take a chocolate chip. She was a little bit of something wrong there. We would, my brother and I had an end of the basement where our beds were. We didn't have a closet or anything. Just had an end of the basement. And we would go to the freezer down there and take pieces of bread frozen out of the center of the loaf. And I used to think to myself, I just hate my house. I hate my life. I have to hide. When my dad picks on my mom, I have a hiding place. I hate my house. When I get old enough, I'm going to beat the crap out of my father. Wait till he can't do anything anymore. I will beat the crap out of him. And God said to me, you need to knock it off or you'll become that. What he gave us, he's getting a piece of bread. My kids own everything I have. I don't have anything more valuable than them. When I got married, I literally, Becky and I went out and bought our first groceries, and it was $27. We took them home, put them in the refrigerator. We had no furniture in our first apartment, no chairs, no couch, no bed, no table, nothing. Sat on the floor, and we were teachers in a Christian school. And I remember going and actually opening the refrigerator and feeling guilt. And Becky said, this is our house. Those are our groceries. You can have whatever you want, honey. I'm no longer a slave. Not only am I no longer a slave, I want to love my dad. I want to love my wife. I want to love my kids. I don't want to pass that dysfunction down to my kids. I'm no longer a slave. You can't have me, Satan. You need to tell God that. Jesus' name is so high and so powerful that it will overtake everything. It covers everything. You are not a sinner anymore when you have Christ in your life. You do not need to be addicted. God never moves. You have his promise on it. You have his oath on your foot. Praise band, come up here. I want to sing two songs. we got five minutes. We're going to do this. And then while they're coming, I want to stay in the spirit here. Please. On Christmas Eve, we'll meet in this room at 5 o'clock for one hour you don't want to miss. One hour in this room at 5 o'clock. We have to come at 3 o'clock and set up, and then we have to stay and tear down. We have no church next Sunday morning because I think it would be good if you spent that time with your family. God will honor us if we join together. Christmas Eve was the only time my dad would go to church. Christmas Eve. Many people will only go to church on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or Easter. You need to invite people to come, and you need to be here one hour that will be powerful for the king.
We're going to sing two songs and you're going to stand. We're going to, we're going to dance our way out of this place this morning because of Jesus.